Welcome, my name is Loriana Hernandez Aldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate, and you are listening to Stage Free, a place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Over time, you may beat it or you may learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably wanna talk about it, and that's where we can help. Each week, I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road all survivors must travel. The goal, we want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Welcome back to Stage Free. Our guest today, I'm so excited for you to meet her. You probably already know her, breast radiation oncologist, Dr. Marisa Weiss. She is the chief medical officer and founder of breastcancer.org the leading patient-focused resource for breast health and breast cancer, reaching 222 million people. Now, Dr. Weiss practices at Lincoln Now Medical Center and Paoli Hospital in Pennsylvania, where she serves as a director of breast radiation oncology and director of breast health outreach. And the best part, maybe not the best part when she was going through this, but she's been on both sides. She is a dual citizen because she is a breast cancer survivor, which means I say you understand us even more. And our topic today, and I love this topic today, is what has been a recommendation for patients? Survivorship care plans. We all agree we need them, but there's really no clear path yet. What happens? I always say what happens after your active treatment, you're sent on your way, and what do you do? And all this information is in breastcancer.org special report. So Dr. Weiss, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us to really educate all of us on survivorship care plans and what we need to do to get one. Right. Well, there's no clear path for each one of us because there's only one of each one of us. And yes, we can learn from each other for sure, but we're, we're on our own journey, each one of us, and we really need to understand it better. And even when I started out as a physician, you know, 30 years ago, I became very moved and inspired and challenged by my patients. Like, cause I, cause they said to me like, Hey, you know, I just went through all the treatment and I'm on the other side now and no one's telling me how to navigate that. And so that's when I started um, another organization, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and wrote a book, Living Well Beyond Breast Cancer, to help people understand how to navigate your life. Because really, the whole point of breast cancer treatment is to give you that life afterwards. Uh, and yet, the mo more, most of the focus is on the actual treatments themselves. Um, and at breastcancer.org, my organization that... Um, that you know that is has the honor and the privilege and responsibility of taking care of you know right now 12 million people each year who are dealing with breast cancer um we could just we heard from our audience um about the challenges that they're still having um feeling stranded worried about you know what how do i know my treatments worked and like who who are those doctors like how do i even reach them and who do i see how often and why and um, what about this new treatment I heard about last night? Is that something that I could still benefit from? What about these ongoing and you know side effects? I don't know if they're from treatment. I don't know if they're from my other medical problems. I don't know um, if they're leftover from you know what I already had or what's from what I'm getting right now. Um, so at breastcancer.org, we, we wanted to study it further, and we just released our latest special report called Beyond Treatment expecting more from your follow-up care. And the, the report offers tips to help you navigate these challenges of ongoing care and support and includes results from our survey study. 
And we work with Dr. Chino of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and Dr. Patty Gans from UCLA. Uh, you know, they are experts in the field of survivorship and we have a great working relationship. Um, and together, breastcancer.org took a deeper dive into what happens after active breast cancer treated is, it, treatment is completed. We wanted to better understand just how satisfied people were with their transition from survivorship, um, you know, and, and follow-up care um, after their initial treatment was over and determine whether they received or used what we, what's called a survivorship care plan or any type of plan of action of how to move forward with their lives and to see if they were educated on and knew what to expect in terms of potential side effects that may linger on or come up for them. Um, as it turns out, almost a thousand US residents who were diagnosed with breast cancer in the past 10 years responded to our survey that we had online for about seven weeks. The average age was just over 60. And there was, and we had people represented from all cancer stages um, and all across the country, uh, and um, including early stage people and people with metastatic disease. And the key takeaway from our research is that many patients are left, you know, worried and unprepared for what's to come. They were left feeling unsatisfied from that transition past um, their active care. And I think one of the most important findings from the study is how side effects are explained to people um, and how they hear them, remember them. Um, and uh, maybe when you first heard about side effects, it was just before the treatment started, right? And you were, you, you know, you wanted to know, is am I going to have nausea, vomiting, hair loss, weight gain? Am I going to have, am I going to be able to drive myself to the hospital? Um, will my, you know, will, it, what about my, you know, diarrhea? Um, energy level? Can I go to work? Can I be with other people? All that kind of stuff. And if there were late side effects, like maybe you did or didn't hear about them, but they weren't relevant at the time. But now that you're finished all that and you got through the initial jungle of treatment issues and you know what's, what happens with treatment, now that you're out, spit out from the other side, you may have side effects that you, you feel unprepared for that you didn't know to expect you don't know how long they're going to last for, if anything else is going to come up for you, um, and that people felt that, you know, that maybe they weren't given in a way that they could understand. Um, and when I'm, it came to both short and long-term side effects, over 40% of people that we surveyed um, ended up researching side effects themselves to get the information they needed. Um, you know, and of course, when you're about to start a new treatment, you need to know what to expect and we focus on what we could, what could happen immediately, but people also want and need to know what to expect after the main treatment is finished and about any side effects from ongoing therapies, like if you're on endocrine therapy or you're continuing on anti-hertrude therapy or you're on immunotherapies, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I know for me, having had leukemia first and then breast cancer, and I remember at that time I'd had a 25% chance of survival. I'd been in the hospital separated from my son for a year. So wow. the only path forward I had when they, they would tell me, but the studies say, you know, they're telling me about the long-term side effects, but I'm thinking like, just give it to me now, save my life. I'll worry about that later. Right. And you only absorb 10% anyway, when, when you're going through this type of trauma. So I know the doctors told me, but I was just like, you know, wah, 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 whatever, just give me the chemo so I can save my life, be with my son, and then I'll deal with it. But now right. 
having had breast cancer afterwards and it's kind of now all hitting me in the face and it's it's traumatizing because you feel like you're done with active treatment i i have so many oncologists who are not just professional relationships but they're friends now i know how busy you all are so i know you don't really have time for the the patient who's not in active treatment but the primary cares don't know what to do with us so you're like what do i do i'm so lost who's going to tell me about my risk how many more scans i need to protect myself i don't want a third one some people don't want it nobody wants a second one or a third so what are some of the biggest challenges to actually make this happen right i mean you're hitting on all the issues and when you when you don't hear from your doctor or you um you know you can feel really disappointed and frustrated and you can lose confidence and trust and it's so interesting because um you can, one of the things that i experienced going through breast cancer treatment where i had the best care possible but there were still major gaps mm-hmm. and i realized along the way that i could disappear and no one would it would be unlikely people would reach out to you and say me and say Hey, Marisa, like, yeah, haven't been coming back to clinic lately or where are you? We care about you. You know, life goes on. And I realized that if I, you know, to get the best care, I needed to use my voice for myself um, because um, I'm the one, it's my life at stake. And I really have to be that noisy person. Um, There's no question that the transition from active treatment where you're in and out of the hospital and, you know, surrounded by doctors and nurses um, and then transition from that to ongoing survivorship care um, is a challenge for everyone. It may be the when everything hits you like a bolt of lightning, like you were saying, like we as women, we're always like doing, let's just get it, the show on the road, let's just get it done, move on, move on, because you've got a lot going on between home, work, and the community. Um, and it, and the, even the whole diagnosis can hit you um, and knock you off your feet after the treatment's over. And they say that depression is just as common after treatment's over when everyone expects you to be celebrating than it is upon diagnosis when people kind of expect you to be upset about it. Um, You know, you're wondering like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You look in the mirror like, who is that person? Um, And also, who are these people in my life? Some of them showed up. Some of them didn't. Um, What just happened to me? How is this going to change my life moving forward? You know, life will never be the same, but how do I get to a new normal? Um, and so as you're going through all this, um, the you're looking at the transition period from active treatment to survivorship. You know, who who's on your team that you need? Well, primary care doctors should be involved in your fault care. Uh, about half the time, they may not. Um, uh, only about half the time people got act- an actual official survivorship care plan from their doctors. Uh, but survivorship care plans, they when they happen, there are these like, written documents that uh, have different parts to them. Uh, there's the treatment summary, a record of all the treatments you had and the dates when you received them, which is important to know. It's also important to know the names of your doctors and how to reach them, because a lot of us, once we're finished treatment, we actually may not remember their names. And it happens a lot. When I'm taking care of patients, I say, well, who was your doctor? And they go, um, wait a minute, it's coming to me. So you want an easy, you know, a easy record of complete record of like who was on your team, how to reach them. Uh, the next part of the roadmap um, is what you can expect in the years after treatment, inter- including 
um, late or long-term side effects that you may have, ones that linger on. Uh, you would like a schedule of how you'll be monitored for those side effects, including the tests over time. So much, of, so many of us, for example, let's say for, if you have metastatic disease, you were in the habit of getting mammograms every year, and now they, if you, if you have metastatic disease, they may not be getting them at the same level, or may not be getting other tests uh, uh, regularly unless they need to. And you wonder, like, well, how do you know if you need to? And I want those tests. Um, I want to be followed carefully. And that's what a, there's a you need to establish a you know a a, a plan and a style. Your, you know, that reflects your personal style and desire about how you want to be followed proactively or kind of like peripherally, because some people don't want to be followed at all. Right. Um, you want to know um, who's in charge of what and and who do you call if you have an issue? Well, and if you move a lot, I've moved from the D.C. area to Philadelphia. So I was at Hopkins and then Penn, now Emory and then other doctors in the Atlanta area that's even harder. And, and for me, it was so stressful. I literally went from living the life as a high profile news anchor, fighting for my life, and then so lost, even being well-educated and well-connected, going through such depression, wanting to take my own life because I was depressed. I didn't know the path forward. I couldn't figure out how to get back up and I didn't know what to ask. And I'm thinking, I always think about the underserved. If I'm a former medical reporter and I don't know the right questions, what are other people doing? And so when I went to my, I, I still call my oncologist at Hopkins because I love them. They saved my life. But I said, hey, I need a list. And thank God Dr. Mark Levis is still working there. But like, I need a list of my chemo. Like how, what were the doses? So he texted it to me. But I'm like, I, it, I need this like on an official piece of paper. And then I said, oh, I had two full body rounds of radiation. I didn't know that. Then another doctor tells me, well, that puts you at a much higher risk of breast cancer. No wonder you got breast cancer. But it would be nice if all this was on a piece of paper or something, a document that I could go from doctor to doctor. Right. And I mean, the good news is, is that uh, there, 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 the, the 21st Century Act, a law in the United States, uh, maybe not around the world, but the United States, does give you the right to have access to your medical records, including in digital format, like your, through the patient portal, where hopefully you can get access to these records. Um, but sometimes you can get access to like the main record, like Epic, but mm -hmm. not to Onco EMR, which might be the the medical oncologist record system. Um, but basically, you know, this is an survivorship care is an area of opportunity that needs to be addressed because the population of breast cancer survivors continues to grow. Um, experts estimate that there are over four million breast cancer survivors already in the United States. And the good news is that with medical advances, more people are living longer and, um, and, and from all kinds of cancers, including breast cancer. And when you're receiving your oncology care, it's likely that your PCP, your primary care physician, was kept out of the loop and, is with, and, and may not know what you've been through, even if you expect that they would. And you may be disappointed that they haven't reached out, but maybe they didn't even know. And right. your, but your but your primary care physician may not have the and usually doesn't have the expertise about what you're going through, including the side effects of modern day treatments. Like um, they may not know that Verzenio causes diarrhea, or they may not know that NHER2 causes can cause pulmonary fibrosis. Um, you know, they may not know that. Um, and so you need to have your primary care physician who does know the most about all of you holistically 
as well as your, you know, uh, your other medical conditions that you might be concerned about and who, what's going on in your life, your family situation, where they may have, they may have a better sense of you over the years. They, these people have to sort of work together. Um, so we need to get our PCPs, primary care physicians, back into the loop. And again, um, we end up having to be our own best advocate. So it's great that everyone's here on the podcast today to sort of learn like, okay, well, it's not my style to be like noisy about what I need, but um, tell me how to step in and, and take on this role and use my voice. Well, the, do you feel that some of the PCPs need more survivor training? We're saving more people and 80% of cancer patients are getting their oncology treatment at cancer center, community cancer centers. Do you feel we need to have some more education across the board, not just with patients, but the primary cares so they can help us? Like we can meet each other halfway. Right. Well, I mean, realistically, primary care physicians have to be knowledgeable about every single condition. And it's impossible for them to know everything about oncology care. Impossible. In fact, it's impossible for an oncologist to know everything about their area of expertise. So I think we need to, you, you need to have a group of, of advice, you know, doctors and other types of advisors to help you um, stay as healthy as possible over time and, and, and ask your primary care physician to sort of referee for you. And like, if you have an issue or you want something you're not getting, ask them to help you out. Uh, but don't just jump in when you need help out, you know, help keep them in your loop. You can also look for cancer survivorship programs and clinics in your area that may be accessible. Um, you know, all most oncologists see their patients after initial treatment. Uh, but there's a point where they'll say, hey, you, you've done well. You know, any side effects so far is it, it's stable or you were learned, we've learned how to manage it. Um, but, um, you know, you can shift over to your primary care or to a survivorship clinic to follow you. Um, so you want to, it's good to look, check out a team that may be tuned into survivorship. Um, and this may, these programs and clinics may have the staff expertise and resources on a wide range of post-treatment needs. They may be able to help you with treatment side effects, work with you to develop an individualized survivorship okay. care plan for you and to refer you to specialists, coordinate your care among different providers and recommend ways to improve your overall health and more. Um, that's, you know, that's something to look out for. Well, how widely available are the programs throughout the country? Like how can we find one and transfer care to one? Well, it's a little tricky because you, the doctors that took care of you know you the best because they took they took on the responsibility for your care. They know what they the treatments that they gave. They know the side effects. They they know you the best. So you don't want to necessarily. It's probably not a good idea to cut ties with that that team and all of a sudden meet up with this generalized survivorship team um, that may may not know you as well. Uh, but there are survivorship care programs and clinics throughout the United States. Although the extent and quality of these programs can vary a lot, depending on the location, the facility, community resources, your insurance, what you're able to do. Um, you can start with checking out if there's any comprehensive cancer centers in your area, uh, major cancer centers designated by the National Cancer Institute, the NCI it's called, often offer comprehensive survivorship care programs. 
Um, these programs typically can provide a range of services and like, you know, uh, counseling, support groups, resources. You could look at nonprofit organizations in your area for these types of, of, of for supplemental things. But as you say, 80% of care happens in the community. Community hospitals and cancer programs also offer survivorship care programs or will help you transition uh, between your oncology care team and your primary care team uh, because they usually work very closely together and they may not be as um, uh, um, you know distracted by research that they're doing in the comprehensive cancer centers you know so you know in a community hospital where I work you know there's the the primary cares and the oncologists work a lot together so you might need to forge your a customized plan uh, between that between them you want to see Ask your doctor um, if there are resources available to you in your area. And keep in mind, you know, these the scope and availability of these services can vary wherever you are. Um, uh, and as I said, you may find that you get the most continuity of care when you stick with a team of doctors that treated you and know you best, at least initially. Uh, but still, regardless, you got to be your own best advocate and ask for what you need. Um, yeah. My oncologist, he's amazing, but sometimes I'll bring up stuff and I always ask because I don't know if, if back pain is related to, is it something, a lesion or, you know, I always worry. So I tell him about things unrelated to breast cancer, but sometimes he says with a smile and, and I love him. He's amazing. He's like, you need to find a primary care. So he helped me find one. And that per, that primary care has been great. Like I call it a pit crew leader, like my pit crew driver to help me like navigate the way. And sometimes she'll say, that's a question for Dr. Kalinsky, your breast oncologist, that's for your leukemia doctor. So she helps me. So it is important if you can find one who can help you navigate. What are your tips for how to get help with like the late and long-term side effects of breast cancer treatment, like the neuropathy, the bone pain, the depression I talked right. about? Right, right. I mean, just like you said, there's only one you. I mean, look at your unique situation. You had the um, the the leukemia up front, and right, and then the breast cancer, and you had you know major treatment for the first problem that you know carried over, and there was an overlap of side effects and like what's causing what, right? Um, but because of treatment, uh, and because of sometimes the cancer itself can cause issues. And meanwhile, through all of this, we're growing older and aging. We may have aches and pains that we had up front that are got worse because of treatment. Um, you know, because of all that we've been through, many of us may have a high risk of developing other conditions as we grow older. Like, you know, we already know as women with osteoporosis is a risk as we grow older, but it may have been, ex that risk may have gotten worse because of an aromatase inhibitor, for example, or just stopping hormone, hormone replacement therapy. There are the mental health issues, you know, the, the the anxiety, depression, the fear of recurrence that we that we experience. You know, the the life today is so complicated. Um, there is so much going on out there that adds to it, and we have, you know, we worry about our we worry about ourselves, but then we worry about our families that are going through so much in the world right now. Um, people can have high blood pressure. You can get cardiac side effects, heart side effects from treatment. For example, um, let's just say you're on medicine, endocrine therapy or anti-estrogen therapy. Um, you need to be mindful of your bone health. So for example, if you're on tamoxifen as a premenopausal woman, that can drop your bone strength, you know, the bone density. If you are a postmenopausal woman, 
um, on um, aromatase inhibitors, you can lose more bone strength. So you need to know how to keep your bones healthy so that you remain a strong person, woman, you know, you want to maintain your height, your posture. You want to make sure that your bones stay as strong as possible to avoid issues like f breaking something if you fall down or, you know, being a little old lady curled up like this. No, we want to be as healthy as we can be. So um, it means that you want to have a plan for that. And, um, you know, that when treatments for breast cancer are so individualized, it's important to make a plan with your doctors that that watches out for these types of issues and conditions that you may be at higher risk for, depending on what you were, how you were treated. Um, right. I so didn't want to tell my doctor that I had, I was having chest pain and I've been to the hospital a numerous times about chest pain. He said, I need to know that. I said, well, I didn't think that had anything to do. This was early post leukemia. I said, I think it had to do with leukemia. And he said, yes, we gave you chemo through your chest. Like the chemo puts you risk of a pulmonary embolism. I need to know these things. So I didn't make the connection. I'm glad he shared that with me. Like you're talking about the bone pain. It's so important that we understand what those long-term side effects are, how to ask for help from our doctor. Right. Right. And you know, the thing is, is that tamoxifen, for example, um, can, uh, as I said, reduce bone strength in someone who's before the menopause. It may help increase bone strength in someone after the menopause, but it is associated with a higher risk of developing a pulmonary embolism. Just like if you're on birth control pills, you can develop a higher risk of a PE when a blood clot goes to the lung. And you need to know that that's a risk because if you were to develop shortness of breath or like chest pain, or like you take a breath in and you get chest pain, you need to call your doctor right away. Also, if you're on tamoxifen as an example, if you've got vaginal bleeding, which is unexpected, call your doctor right away because it could be a, associated with a higher risk of endometrial cancer in the future. And back to the bone health thing, you know, your primary care doctor may be able to handle that together with your primary care to know, let's say, are, do you, are your vitamin D levels in your blood at the right level? Are you supplementing, you know, vitamin D and dietary calcium as much as you can? Is your posture good? Are you working your body so that you get the benefit of exercise for bone health? Or do you need, you know, more treatment like um, that a specialist might oversee, like Prolia, as an example? Do you need to see a rheumatologist, a specialist? Um, you might need a referral to that type of doctor, uh, depending on your health insurance. Well, who are some of the best providers and specialists to reach out to to help you focus on this? Yeah, well, the answer to this is really based on your unique situation, both personally and on uh, personal medical things like what your treatments received and what your and the, and that what's going on for you, um, you know we we it's interesting, but you we tend to focus on the thing that's bothering us the most. Let's just say it's hot flashes, and let's say we deal with that, and then all of a sudden you notice a pain. You may have been having that pain and a bunch of other things all at once, but we we can only notice and manage and pay attention to one thing at a time or maybe two things at a time. Um, so it may be you have vaginal dryness and you've got no libido and you need to see your gynecologist, someone who knows how to manage those things, not just deliver babies, right? Right. Um, and it's best to-, to start with, on that. What's that? Just did a podcast on that. Right, right. The vaginal to, dryness. That's important stuff. You know, um, you don't want to give up this, the part of life that brings you joy and that's fun and connects you to other people. Um, or to yourself, because people are a lot of people are sexually active on their own, 
you know, and, but they, you need libido for that too, right? Yeah. So it, it's best to start with a provider who's managing your care overall, like your piece, your primary care doc. Um, but you might see a specialist, for example, um, the physical medicine specialists can be really helpful. They, they're called physiatrists and physical medicine rehabilitation. They can address ongoing issues like pain or a limited range of motion or just fatigue, loss of strength. Um, and they can assess where you are now and say, what can your body do now? What do you need your body to do as a minimum? How do we get a plan to get there? And they can orchestrate their physical therapy to get there and write the prescriptions in the most effective way for your insurance company because um, they understand physical medicine the most. Um, supportive care specialists like palliative care doctors, they're not just about end of care. They're not just about hospice at all. They're there to manage, help you palliate or relieve symptoms coming up like pain. A lot of them are pain specialists that can be helpful. And then of course, for your emotional mental health that gets often swept under the rug and you end up stepping on it, um, we have mental health specialists. You may start with a social worker at the hospital because that social worker is often covered by insurance and they can direct you. They may be able to provide you with um, emotional support them, him or her themselves, direct you to support groups. Of course, breastcancer.org has you know discussion boards and moderated by experts. Um, you might go to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, other forms of counselors, of uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapists um, that can be helpful, uh, that can help you with the common issues of anxiety, fear of recurrence, depression, or you know managing the stress of everyday life. Yeah, and, and when you mentioned palliative care, I remember when my oncologist said, you need to see a palliative care person at our hospital for your depression. I'm like, oh no, I don't even like the title of that. I am not going. And then they had to explain, they, they explained to me, this is not end of life because I said, there's no way I'm walking into that department. Um, but you talk about support from survivors and I know breastcancer.org is amazing with the amount of support that you offer to connect survivors. Tell me how important that is with the groups, the message boards. Well, I mean, there's, we know for sure that social isolation and trying to do things on your own, doing it alone stinks and you'll have a worse outcome. You, We do need each other. Um, even if you're someone who's a loner, you still need a net, a support network because uh, getting through treatment is very hard for everybody at different times. And there's so many things that can stand in the way, but it's important to lean on those people who can relate to what you're going through and what you've experienced. And it could be that you've had friends that weren't there for you that now jumping in to help you um, you may feel hurt and disappointed like I did with my, what someone I thought was my best friend. She was MIA, um, but she popped in later and begged back. And I, yeah. and I, was, I had this decision to make, like, am I going to let her in or not? Am I going to hold on to that hurt or let it go? And I let her back in and we have a good relationship. And, you know, she's one of a number of people I have in my life. You want to find a supportive community like at breastcancer.org where you can connect with people who care about you and they get what you're going through. And like you were alluded to, like I'm a dual citizen, a doctor and a patient. I'm a 13 year survivor. And I know firsthand that you need to work every day to stay upbeat, to do the hard work of being healthy, 
no one's perfect, you know, always hoping for the best and hoping for what I call the full life view, which means for me and which I share with my patients, which is the chance to live a good life, doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, with the people you want to do it, uh, and remaining to be that independent person as, as much as possible. You know, yeah, needing, a, you know, having, leaning on other people and having friends, but, you know, taking care of yourself as best you can, having your dignity about it and not having people pity you, even if you pity yourself sometimes, because I've had a lot of private pity parties. Yes. Um, and it's worked not to sweat the small stuff and just stay focused on what matters most. I call it a work in progress. And I got to say that I'm very grateful and lucky to be here to have seen my three kids grow up. I finally have a grandchild. Um, and you know, the son, my son, who I, uh, one of my three kids, my son, who I worried the most about actually grew up and got mature. And now he got, he's married in under new management, I call it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's important, I think, to sort of honor all that you've been through, give yourself credit for all that you've, all that hard work that you've done and to sort of like enjoy and cherish those moments that you do have and try to be as fully present even when there's so many things that, you know, that compete for your time and energy um, and can break, can break you down. Um, even when you thought you would be, you could be strong. Well, congrats on all of that, the, the survivorship, watching your son get married. And I, this gives me so much to look forward to because I live, I always say between fence posts, that's the title of my next book, finding joy between fence posts, because I feel like with the anxiety of fear of recurrence, I'm living between post and post. And sometimes I look at my son and I'm having my little pity party and I'm crying and I'm depressed inside. And I'm thinking, if you have any idea that my feet are on fire, I'm so depressed and I'm here at your basketball game. I'm here because I want to be fully present and watch you grow up, but I'm tired. So if he complains about something, it's like, if you have no idea what I'm going through just to be here at this very moment. So I do think the support is so important. Before we go, I have one other question because I, you're amazing with all that you've done with breastcancer.org, living beyond breast cancer. You started these after you survived breast cancer while being no, a I, I started my, I, I started breastcancer.org, LBBC many years ago, but I, when, when the web became available and I wanted to provide a safe place for people to go anywhere around the world at any time of day or night to provide them with the most up-to-date medical expert information and support from each other. I started breastcancer.org. That was 23 years ago. I'd already been in practice for about, you know, 20 years or so um, when I was diagnosed myself. So wow. I was dedicated to taking care of people with breast cancer way before my own diagnosis. And yeah, it helped a little bit get through it. And as I said to before, um, but it's worth repeating, I had, I've got lucky. I got the best care possible, but there were still gaps and one of the things that I learned that is so important is that it is possible to feel gratitude, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, gratitude for the treatment that you received and also disappointment, frustration, anger um, and hurt, feeling hurt um, all at the same time towards one doctor. Um, and um, it's uncomfortable to feel all those weird feelings, you know, hard feelings together but it's a very real thing. Um, and as we move, as you move forward with the life that you work so hard to have, because again, the whole point of all that treatment you went through and you may still be going through is to give you life afterwards. 
Yes. And, um, and you have to give yourself credit for all that hard work that you're doing. And you have to sort of manage your expectations. Also that you talked about, you're talking, you know, what you showing up for your son, but they didn't, he didn't know what you were going through. Um, there are a lot of people in your life that don't really understand what you're going through. Uh, that's why this type of podcast working with you and at breastcancer.org is so important because people get what you're going through. It's a safe place to share and not be judged. Um, and so, um, you have to educate and empower people. And that's why we launched stage free and, and really I'm in awe of the work that you do because not only were you powerful before you even had breast cancer, you're a visionary and looking through the lens that you now look through on both sides as a dual citizen, being a breast oncologist and also a survivor is incredible. And you can see it in the work that you do and the passion that you have. So it is a privilege for me to talk to you. So Dr. Weiss, thank you for joining me today and all the work. And I want to tell the listeners to read the full report. Um, you can go to breastcancer.org forward slash follow dash up dash care, or just go to the, the website breastcancer.org. The amount of information you provide to patients and support is incredible. I refer to it a lot when I travel and give speeches. I quote you all the time. I quote your website all the time because you are the place to get information. So I hope we can direct more patients to you. Well, and, thank you. Yes, it's just an honor to talk to you and for your time. Um, thank you for, for joining us. And thank you to all the stage-free listeners. Our goals, again, is to give you the tools and insight you need to master survival. It is complicated, but together we can empower each other and do this. For thank sure. You. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Stage Free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts who will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at armorupforlife.org.